Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday. It's June the 14th, and we're going to be talking about the shell game. The shell game is a confidence game that's used to pull one over on an unsuspecting mark. And the question is, are you that mark? Are we that mark? Are conservatives in America that mark? I'm already seeing that we've got some thumbs up coming in in the chat. The live chat's been rocking already for at least 40 minutes. So thanks for joining me. Uh, remember, you can always join the Kyle Serafin Show at 8.30 live in uh, Texas, America. That's 9.30 on the East Coast for those of you out there. If your clocks are off a little bit, I saw that looks like the Observer had clocks that were about five minutes ahead of the rest of us. Go ahead and check your clocks all. So let's talk about the confidence game. Let's talk about what a shell game is. Let's talk about why I think that we are dealing with one and uh, and what are they trying to scam us out of? And uh, we're going to do that in just a second. Let me all first say thanks to a sponsor here. Let's go ahead and say thanks to Patriot Coolers. I've actually got my Patriot Cooler right in front of me here. I'll show you in a second. Um, pulled up their webpage. It's patriotcoolers.com. You can use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, promo code Kyle. We'll get you 10% off. You'll get free shipping over $50. The thing I'm showing right now is a hard cooler. If you're not watching us on the live show, if you're not on the Rumble channel, the hard coolers look very similar to like a Yeti or any of the other rotomolded coolers, and they will keep your stuff cold for days and days. They've got better pricing and for larger sizes than you'll find on some of the competitive brands. So check them out by all means. Very appreciative of Patriot Coolers. Here's my tumbler. This is the Patriot Coolers tumbler. There we go. We'll get it, the suspendables badge right on top there. This one's in olive green. I'm a big fan of that. And, uh, Keeps me hydrated throughout the day here in Texas. I'll also say thanks to CatholicVote.org. Let me pull them up real quick as well. Catholic Vote is America's top Catholic advocacy organization. Uh, actually, some of the folks from there are actually flying in to Texas. They may be landing right now, and we're going to be catching up in about two hours and shooting something for one of their podcasts. So CatholicVote.org, they are an organization dedicated to faith, family, and freedom. You can uh, pull up their email, what is it called? The email list. It's called The Loop, keeping you in the loop with all kinds of important things that are related to all Christians in this country, things that are going to be like um, crisis pregnancy centers being bombed and their unaccountability with the DOJ. They're boycotting the Dodgers right now, running a $1 million ad campaign against uh, woke corporations that are going to be kind of attacking our values and our freedom. Check out catholicvote.org. I'm really appreciative of them you guys can actually donate to them. They are a 501c4, so they can move money around to political parties. Let's launch right now into the confidence game. Let's talk about what they are, the shell games. So here's a picture. If you're watching on the live chat, you can see it. And this is a guy named Pop Hayden. Pop Hayden is a uh, American musician, uh, rather magician, and was known for sleight of hand, street musician. That is a hard word to say. It's a street magician. <laughs> And you can see there's a kind of an iconic picture of him here. He's got the three shells up. And these are walnut shells in this case. And this game has been played apparently since uh, ancient Greece. You can move a, a small P and you can toss it around back and forth. And the game is, is getting the people in the crowd, some of whom are part of the, the scam, to encourage 
an unsuspecting mark to lay money down on top of what's going on. So we're going to pop over here to Wikipedia and just kind of talk quickly about the shell game. It's uh, also known as the thimble rig, three shells and a pea. Someone calls it the old army game. We'll talk about three card Monty as well. I want you to have the backstory on this because I think these are all relevant to what we're going to be talking about in a second because they are playing this right now. We're seeing it happen in real time. There's some um, paintings by Hieronymus Bosch on this particular uh, Wikipedia page. You see a guy on the street doing the three card Monty or doing a shell game. They're all kind of the same. And essentially what happens is there are three items, one of which is the the uh, desired item. They can do a cup and ball, and they are attempting to get the unsuspecting viewer, the unsuspecting participant, the mark, the person who's going to lose their money, to put money down and bet on one of those three. They're going to see uh, either three cards, one of which will be like a queen of hearts, or they'll have these three shells and the P underneath it. Now, the key is to make it look like it's a fair game, like you're playing something that you can win. That's the that's the confidence trick. The confidence is that you will believe that there is a possibility that you're going to be able to come out ahead. And yet, what they will do is sleight of hand. They'll twist it on you, and they will change the rules because the, the possibility of winning doesn't actually exist. This is three-card Monty. Many of you guys have seen this. They use this in all kinds of different you know 80s movies where there's a street hustler on the ground. He's got a box, and he's setting it up. And the people that are behind him are cheering him on, and they're in on it. Now, it's my supposition that the people that are in on it are people like the media. They're the ones that are hyping it. And then we're seeing our politicians that are actually committing to the fraud, right? So the politicians are out there and they are telling us something that we can win, that we are part of something, but we're really not. So where am I going with this? Right now I'm going to go, this is part culture war. I'm going to bring up a, uh, an article that I saw the other day, something that we've sort of forgotten about in some ways. And I think it's worth us getting into. This says uh, this is from Town Hall. This is from two days ago, and it's a breaking story. At that point, the Nashville shooter autopsy was obtained. Now, in some ways, people have moved on from this already. We're not hearing cries about where's the manifesto. Although my buddy George Hill brought it up yesterday or the day before, he said, "Hey, I just saw the manifesto," and I was like, "Oh, really? Have you?" And then, of course, the answer is no. We're not seeing it. Why are we not seeing it? Why is it not out there in the public? It's not out there because they are keeping it from us. They're acting like we're going to have some information. They are out there uh, giving us the confidence that there will be a real investigation. But of course, those of us that are paying attention to the conservative world know that it is not. And um, here we see the autopsy picture. What is most concerning to me about this particular article, it started right with the photograph. And if you're sitting here watching on the Rumble channel, you can see it. It says name, handwritten in. Audrey Aiden Hale. Well, this was one person, and that person had one name. So why are we seeing two different names, one male, one female? And this is started, this is the start of it here. So you'll see that they're they're talking about a trans identified. This is written in Town Hall, which is a conservative outlet. They're normalizing this kind of thing. They are making you think that this is a normal piece. This is a trans identified Audrey Aiden Hale's autopsy report from months ago. After that individual, that female, went out and killed six people, two, uh, three children, and three teachers at a at a school in Tennessee. Now they talk about the, the the gunshot wounds, but what's crazy to me is is if you scroll down through it and you see the way that this was actually written up, they they note that it's a transgender person, quote unquote, assigned female at birth. This is all going to make sense in a second here, and they talk about the actual build of this particular 
individual that the body is that of a well-developed, well-nourished, five foot two, 119 and a half pound phenotypic female. We are entering a strange, strange time in America when, when uh, the physicians that are doing an autopsy have to tell you something like a phenotypic female instead of explaining to you that this was in fact a female. They're talking about genitalia and so on uh, of an adult female, and yet they're not going to just acknowledge the simple fact that we are talking about an actual female. Now, um, those of you who followed our show and, and know we did an entire show with Steve Friend called the Super Bowl of Masculinity because the men who came and eliminated this woman who was taking cross-sex hormones and obviously had some sort of really awful reaction to it. Um, we haven't seen the manifesto, but what we do know is is that she was killed by police officers because she was attacking children, which is fantastic. I want to pivot to a slightly different type of attack on children. This is the stuff that's had my blood boiling for the last couple of days. Um, we did our show talking about are the Nazis here on Monday. I think it's really important. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go and take a look at it because that's talking about some of the governmental entities, some of the uh, some of the things that are happening with our judiciary. And we'll we'll talk about why that's still going on in this in the shell game. But this is something that I was not aware of on Cartoon Network. I did have a personal experience in the Seraphin household just maybe uh, the day before. So this is a cartoon on Cartoon Network that's called We Baby Bears. You'll notice that it's animated. You'll notice that it is for little kids. And um, I'm going to show you something that might blow your mind. This is about a 30-second clip, so bear with me. And uh, we'll discuss it in just a second here. So let's go ahead and play that. Ah, we found Jared, poor lad. And this be Winnie. Hey there! I am the great Winifred. She's her. Actor extraordinaire. There me new crew. This is awesome. Our crew also has a new addition. Pink Fox. They use they them pronouns and they pick an exceptionally good quiche. <laughs> Yar, well met, Fox. I use they them pronouns as well. So let's get this pirate adventure. So we've got a pirate adventure. We've got a cat that introduces itself with pronouns. She, her pronouns. And we have a, a small bear and a pirate that use they, them because they're non-binary. Now, Libs of TikTok was the one that you were just seeing exposing this stuff, taking the little clip. And, you know, if it was just Cartoon Network and it was just one example of a cartoon that none of us have ever heard of, then that would be sort of a, a strange piece. But they're not doing that. They're moving this this ball forward. They are they are tossing this in. They are acting like they are um, giving you an opportunity to have your children be in, involved in uh, this sort of culture. That they are going to be exposed to. What would you even call this stuff? This is a uh, an attempt to normalize, but it's also trying to say that like, hey, listen, we're we're desensitizing them to the way that human beings are. I don't know a single person in my entire life that has ever introduced themselves with pronouns. You shake their hand, you know it's a female. You shake their hand, you know it's a male, and then you're going to try and teach this next generation that there is uh, some group of people out there that are doing this. Now, I guess it's starting to happen in tech, but I'm going to bring up another thing because this is where it happened in the Seraphin House. This is a show called Ada Twist. Now you're seeing a picture right now on the screen. If you're not watching us, then this is what you're missing out on. It is a picture of two men dressed in suits, a maroon suit and a green suit, and they are kissing. And one appears to be Hispanic male. The other one appears to be a black male. And there's people cheering them on. It's obviously at a wedding of some kind. And this is from a website called Mombian, 
which I've also never heard of, but I found this because I was looking for this scene because I saw this in my house. Uh, this is a scene from Ada Twist Scientist, and it features a gay wedding. This is very recent. This just came out in May. It was just released. Mombian is a website, apparently, that is sustenance for lesbian moms since 2005. Um, I guess these things are out there in the world. What I wanted to do is actually read what they're trying to con you with right here. So this is a Emmy award-winning show, Ada Twist Scientist. My children have watched it. They've been watching it for a little while. We screen a lot of what they watch, but you can't necessarily screen everything, although I can tell you that we will not be watching Ada Twist anymore in our house. It's got a catchy and a cute song. It's got... Uh, a character who's this cute little black girl who is a scientist and she tries to answer questions and they're trying to introduce women into STEM. And that seems to be sort of the woke twist to it, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I don't hate it. Um, I've got two daughters. They are four and five. And so this is right up their alley. There's a little boy who's an engineer. There's another little girl who's an architect, whatever it is. And they kind of work together to solve problems the same way that you might see in any other cartoon. It's, you know, the Scooby-Doo clan was solving mysteries and they all had kind of a little uh, shtick and each one of them, one of them was brave and one of them was an accidental hero and so on and so forth. It's the same kind of shtick you find in every little kid's cartoon. In this one, they've taken it uh, to this next level where we are now going to have gay men's wedding. And this is a website that is celebrating it. They absolutely love it. They think this is fantastic. It says, what a timely message about censorship and the power of stories, including even more queer representation. So the episode was called the Blue River Wedding, and it's the friends doing, uh, you know, what they do. They basically have some sort of uh, problem. This is the uh, the exposition is that there is in fact a hurricane or a tornado, some big storm is blowing into town, and they're going to use their STEM skills, math and science and so on, to try to divert the tornado. But then they have to get creative because the tornado keeps coming in. And what they have are two activists that are playing two different roles. One of them is George uh, Taki, who is from Star Trek. You'll remember him. And he is a, a, a big pusher in the cultural war. And then another guy named uh, Guillermo Diaz. And they are acting as the two gay men that are getting married. Uh, there's this kiss, which we're seeing right here. And this is what the woman from Mambian is celebrating. They're physically affectionate. And notably, when they kiss after be, being declared husband and husband, Joe gives Dave a brief kiss on the head. At one point, they link arms. Their love is obvious. It's so clear. Everything they do is perfectly appropriate public behavior, even in front of kids, just as it would be for a couple of any genders. And she says, I cannot recall any similar level of romance or physical affection between a same-sex couple in a preschool show. Just going to stop it right there. We are talking about romance and physical affection between a same-sex couple in a preschool show. That's it. That's 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 the game. The game is you can't say anything about it. We've been getting you going, and now your money is gone because you've let your kids watch this. They've been playing the game for a while. They they lure you in with seasons after seasons of reasonable little kids doing little kids' things. And suddenly, now we're showing you uh, same-sex couples having affection, which is, one, it is a fringe group of people. It's a small group of people. I'm not mad at gay people that want to get married. I just don't want to have to explain it to my five-year-old. It just seems like a really reasonable thing. Now, here's where it gets really fun, because this is how we're going to enter into where it's going. I'm going to come right back into this piece. The series, 
Okay. Let me see if I can actually highlight it. There it is. It's highlighted on the screen right now. The series from Barack and Michelle Obama's Higher Ground Productions won an Emmy for Outstanding Preschool Animated Series last year. And it was produced by an executive, Chris Nee, who's an award-winning producer and lesbian mom, whose Netflix preschool show, Ridley Jones, also included several queer characters. And they ended um, at the end of their fifth season with a non-binary character coming out to their grandmother. Well, I'll tell you what my kids are not going to be watching is the last season of Ridley Jones. Now, Ridley Jones is also on Netflix. It's also a cutesy little show. It's a girl who's kind of like acting like an Indiana Jones type character. And she has a catchy intro theme and she's got these little characters that work around in a museum. Once again, you watch it and you go, oh, they're learning a little bit about history. They're learning a little bit about mummies. They're learning about, uh, you know, the old West and all these different things. Cause all these characters are, it's kind of like um, night at the museum. It's really innocent. Um, I have no idea what the non-binary or queer characters are. There's no reason to believe that they are. They're freaking cartoons. And they're like, literally, they're a mummy. They're a dodo bird. Uh, there's a, some kind of a, a deer or something like that that runs around. There's some other kind of animals. This stuff is nonsense. Like the idea that you're even pushing this toward and putting sexual orientation into a children's cartoon is disturbingly and disgustingly weird. Think about how minor the interactions, the in, any kind of romantic interactions were in the cartoons that uh, I grew up with in the 80s, like I said, the Scooby-Doo types, your uh, your Darkwing Ducks, your your uh, your DuckTales and all these kind of things. Like all these cartoons, they didn't have to have any of this stuff. It wasn't part of the, the story. The story was action, adventure, keeping kids interested. And now it's indoctrination. And they are trying to sneak it in really quickly. And so as they do that, we can pivot over here to this brilliant thing that happened. This is what happens how I, I this is a confidence game. And I, I listened to a guy who was a pickup artist once. He talked about what he called the three, two, one. And the three, two, one was, um, you know, some people talk about moving uh, forward two steps and then backwards one, or they go, you know, they're the uh, one step forward, two steps backwards. These are the kind of the, the plays on words. The the confidence game in this particular guy's scenario, three, two, one was a, a very bold proposition and it moves forward three steps. And then you take it back most of the way. So would you like to go do this thing with me? I'm just kidding. You know, I would never suggest that backing two steps, but if you're interested, we could that's forward one step. And so they get a two step jump. It's very different than the uh, one forward two back. So the three, two, one was that game. And here's the three, two, one right now. This is the confidence game that they're playing at the white house. This is from the daily wire and from daily wires news service. And it just says the Biden administration claims it is outraged, outraged, I tell you, at a transgender activist who went topless at the White House. Some of you guys probably already saw this. Uh, those that were in the, uh, the the live chat before we got started, I asked you if you were looking at my show prep. This is a TikToker. This is a really uh, just kind of atrocious thing. I'm just going to leave it up there since we this is everything is covered, but it is pretty gross. On the left-hand side of our screen, we see Rose Montoya, a biological man who has prosthetic breaths, and um, wears a, a white dress, which is also just kind of evocative of, of purity and, and obviously not that. And then there's old uh, Sleepy Joe wearing his slightly off to the center aviators, thinking he's pretty cool. He's got a, a sweaty forehead and he's smiling with this uh, man dressed as a woman in full makeup with a nose ring. And then just to the right of that, uh, just in front of the, the White House is this trans advocate this man with tattoos and a fake breast topless because he decided to drop his dress and show that. So this is going to say, uh, this is the actual article itself. It's saying that the Biden administration claims it's outraged over a transgender activist who took off his top 
at uh, the White House LGBT event over the weekend. And you know what? Thank God for the Daily Wire in this case. I really do, because they mention the proper biological sex of this individual, his top. And, uh, and, and we need to stop seeding ground on this. I know that women in particular are very guilty of being pulled into this confidence game. In fact, my wife and I had this conversation uh, within the last two days. It is, even though she knows she's morally right, they do push it and they make you feel bad. And you mostly means women because women are such communal creatures that require that, uh, that, uh, that interaction with each other. And they don't want to be other. They don't want to be pushed out. Like we talked about on Monday, they want to be part of the community. And the community has accepted that we're going to claim that men who dress up like women are women. And we use that wrong pronoun. So don't do that. <laughs> Stop giving up that ground. It's not appropriate. Uh, Biden is facing backlash after this. You know, this uh, video went viral on Saturday. Shows this transgender activist Rose Montoya taking off his top. Uh, imagine anybody in the in the conservative world. Imagine someone going to meet Donald Trump and then stripping down to a speedo on the front lawn or taking off clothing. It's absolutely bizarre. And then what they also showed were women who had uh, double mastectomies, surgical scars underneath on the chest, and they were in fact running around as well, uh, flexing with you know chest hair and stuff because they've been taking all these, uh, all these hormones. It is, it is a sleight of hand that is being played. And here's the three, two, one. So they showed you this thing. They show you the president smiling about it. That's the three steps forward. And then what we're going to say, here's the two steps back. The behavior is inappropriate and disrespectful for any event at the White House. And it's not reflective of this event, which we hosted. That was the two steps back. But it's not reflective of the event that we hosted to celebrate LGBTQI plus families or the hundreds of guests who were in attendance. The individuals in the video will not be invited back to future events. Well, they don't need to be because they just stepped two fours. It was really about families of these people. That's what it was really about, even though the visual that came out of it was pretty clear. Jean-Pierre, the uh, Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary said the behavior was unacceptable. We've been very clear about this. This um, this reminds me of another kind of confidence game that my buddy used to play with me. My buddy's name is Carl. He's one of my favorite people. He introduced me to my wife. We've known each other since we were in middle school. And he used to play this game when we were in college and even afterwards, if something would happen, he would do this little thing that Kareem uh, Jean-Pierre is doing. I would say something like, hey, man, you know, you took 20 bucks out of my wallet the other day and uh, you haven't paid me back. And he would aggressively and angrily yell, I said, I'm sorry. And it would put you on the back foot because you go like, oh, well, you know, if he apologized, then I'm the bad guy. But he never apologized. He never actually apologized. What he said was, I said I'm sorry. He claimed that it had already happened, that something had already happened. Kareem, uh, Kareem Jean-Pierre is doing exactly that thing. The behavior was simply unacceptable. And then here it comes. We've been, past tense, very clear about that. When did that happen, KJP? When did that happen, that you were very clear about the fact that it was unfair to the families that were celebrating and that this was unacceptable behavior? Because I don't remember having a strong condemnation about that. You've got this very weak statement. It was inappropriate and disrespectful. No, it was pornographic, right? And probably an arrestable offense to do that. Although they claim that you could be topless in D.C. And I don't know if that's true or not. I never saw anybody topless. I worked in D.C. for five years. I used to go jogging outside the Washington field office on the National Mall near the Ellipse, uh, near all these sort of famous structures. I didn't see anybody walking around topless. Uh, it's just it's just not common <laughs> because D.C. is still 
nominally speaking, America. But uh, if you didn't see the video of this thing, I just want to show it because I think it's worth. It's really disturbing. It's a few seconds, and um, and this is the kind of propaganda they're pushing. This got a lot of views, and uh, it got a lot of likes, even even on Twitter. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. <laughs> Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Year. Happy Pride Life. Yeah. Transgender children. You are beautiful. You are heard. You belong. You are understood. You are loved. And you belong. Yeah. The bravest and most inspiring people I've ever known. I mean, you're welcome. You're good folks. <laughs> So 3.7 million views of this particular video. He said, you're the bravest and most uh, whatever, welcome people. It's just, it's this is this is what they're doing. They're pulling a confidence game on you. They've got this guy standing in front, like this old man who's in his 80s. And, and there's no way you could tell me that that's what this guy believes in. But he thinks it's politically expedient. So he's standing up there in front of it. You got Jill Biden. She probably does believe it. She seems pretty dim. And they're, they're, they're advocating something that wasn't normal for... All of their adult life until their presidency, until his presidency. It's just not a thing that has been ever pushed. And so you're you're dealing with that. And then you get the second backlash here. This is coming from the human rights campaign. I found an article here just, just dated a couple days ago. And this is from 6-6. This is in Newsweek. And because we are so progressive in our society that we are going to let topless uh, men with fake breasts walk around on the lawn of the White House, this like permanent symbol of American you know, presidency, we have to declare that there's a state of emergency for these same people by the human rights campaign. It's the first time in their 40 plus year existence that they've done this. And they said it's because of a record number of bills introduced into the state legislatures this year. That's already surpassed the number from last year. So what is happening is Americans like you, people who are watching this, who are watching this podcast, people who are paying attention to what is happening in the world, are making a backswing happen with their local representatives, which is where it's supposed to happen. They are telling their state representatives, they're telling their counties, listen, we don't want this. We don't need Ada Twist having uh, kisses between men that we have to explain to our five-year-old. We don't need to turn on the news and see topless dudes who have fake boobs walking around and jiggling them and celebrated. This is not the kind of world we want to live in. And so they have to, to scream about it. You know, if you don't accept them, this was originally like, just let us be ourselves and let us alone to live our lives. And I think we all agreed with that. And the slippery slope is there's all these memes out there. And it's like, you must recognize and uh, make your children understand things about gay sex and gay relationships. So this is a stern alert, apparently. You got to love Newsweek. Uh, they are definitely a, a very nonpartisan, just the news type of organization. This stern Alert is in response to what the Human Rights Campaign, the HRC, the nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer civil rights organization, citing an inordinate number of pieces of legislation being introduced in 41 of 50 states. Listen to what they just said there, because they would have you believe that you are a fringe individual. 41 of 50 states have legislation that is being debated and potentially being passed to stop this madness. And this is madness. It is fully crazy. People who are regular parents who don't want to get involved in other Americans' business, who don't care what's going on in their bedrooms, but they don't want their children exposed to it, have had enough. 
And so they're acting like you're a minority, like you're the only one. They're acting like you're the only one. You're the one in the shell game who's watching this thing. You, you're the mark. And yet you're actually the majority. We really should be considering ourselves the mob that's helping out. We should be looking at each other and going, yes, we can push against this because they're talking about in 2023 in legislative sessions across this country, 525 bills have been introduced, 220 of them, quote unquote, targeting, use their language, targeting transgender people. No, they're not. They are advocating on the, the rights of all of the normal people out there. There are not enough people that believe in topless males on the White House lawn. There are not enough people that believe that that is a real uh, danger or a real virtue in this country to be able to normalize it in any meaningful way. And yet the slow creep for decades, they think that they had the strong ground. They pushed too far. I think we all saw that. Some of this stuff happened in 2020. This happened with the George Floyd's riots and some of the other things that were going on. They happened with the COVID tyrannies. These are This is a multifaceted approach. And this sort of transgender ideology is only one of the facets. And they're losing ground on that one because it was ridiculous on its face. And now they're going to scream about it. And you have to hold firm. You have to hold firm. It doesn't matter if they call you a bigot, which I get called all the time on Twitter, it turns out. So they're talking about all these different bills. There were only 115 such bills were introduced in 2015, which is actually shocking to me that there's twice as many bills this year, but there were that many bills in 2015. So people are maybe twice as aware, and the legislatures understand that there's twice as much movement in the right direction. That's all good. That is a good sign. That is a sign of a healthy society, that they resist something that is fringe, and we don't require, let's say, young boys to be able to get into girls' sports. I don't know if you ever uh, competed against girls, but boys against girls is not a fair game unless you're in kindergarten. And we're talking about them doing it in NCAA championships. We're seeing women robbed of their ability to be the thing that they want to be, like women sports stars. And as a father of daughters, that bothers me tremendously. I think that my kids probably won't play organized sports this way I did. I don't know that it has the value that I saw, but um, that's because we've moved on to the world in the same way. I don't think college has the same value it used to. And yet they should at least have the opportunity. Your daughter should have the opportunity to run and swim and play softball and play soccer against other girls without getting knocked out by you know, young boys with denser bone structure, more musculature, more endurance, and all the other things that come along with being a boy because it's not a fair game. Uh, there's a reason why at puberty, this separation happens dramatically. And even a 15-year-old boys soccer team can beat the world champion women's uh, World Cup team for the United States. They can go out there and just crush them. It's not even a fair game. 15-year-old boys at an elite level will destroy grown women who have been training their whole lives. That's not fair. And it shouldn't be something that we consider fair in this country. And generally speaking, we really don't. We never really have seen that sort of thing. I'm going to just kind of quote a couple other things out of this article. It says the number one priority will be ensuring LGBTQ plus people are safe. They bring it back to this thing about safety. There is nowhere more safe to be a alternative lifestyle sexuality person in the world than in the United States. There's nowhere. And they act like this is a place where they are constantly being genocided. You know, um, there's some really strange things that they've mentioned about getting into these surgeries. And this is the stuff I actually wanted to bring up on here, because this is kind of how the ball gets shifted. They, uh, they, they slant the language, and that's where the battleground is. So this is the legislative report warning. This is coming from the Human Rights Campaign. These are the highlights. And of course, Newsweek is more than happy to parrot these talking points, and they're part of it. They are the ones that are trying to pull the con on you. So a transgender sports ban. Also, I would call it a gender-affirming sports ruling to say that your gender, which is male or female, 
is the only way that you can play a sport. It says uh, bans have been passed in 21 states and they affect an estimated 30% of high school age transgender youth. So what is that? Like 100 people? That's not a real thing. That's not a real thing that you don't, you know, that that you are suddenly in this in this society, there is a huge percentage, even though there's never been a huge percentage, there's never been like a, a whole whole number percentage group of people that didn't understand what their gender was. They're claiming that it's 90,000 people, approximately 90,000 of the estimated 300,000 transgender youth. There are not 300,000 people that are born in an intersex way or that don't know what their gender is. If they're confused, it's because that they are being forced to be confused by stupid cartoons like we just saw, and it is being encouraged and celebrated. It's really bizarre. And of course, that comes out of the UCLA's law school of all things. Uh, I'm sure that a UC, uh, University of California school is going to give you really good information. Second thing, currently about 31% of transgender youth between 13 and 17 are living in states where they no longer have access. Here's the really good part to life-saving best practices, medical care. Now they're going to claim that it is life-saving. Here it is right there. Okay. Life-saving best practices. This little paragraph right here, medical care, things that are completely untested. And, uh, and we know this sort of stuff because they're, they're, they haven't even been doing these things long enough to go. For those of you that were worried about the, uh, the COVID vaccines not having enough timeline, talk about the, the instances of cross-sex hormones and the success rate. It's just not there. They don't have any way to back this stuff up. There's no blind, like you can't do a, a legitimized you know, double-blind study to see how these things work out because they're concerned that someone's going to commit suicide on either end of it. And of course, people do. It's, uh, it's truly wild. And then, of course, now we're seeing a full wave of people who are detransitioning, quote unquote, changing back to whatever they were born as. But they've been wrecked and they are coming forward as a, as a harbinger to those who that are considering it. And, and it's just getting drowned out. So the idea that there is life-saving best practices is both laughable and terrifying because there are doctors pushing this. Um, someone asked me if I was mad about trans people. It's like, of course not. I'm not mad at people that have problems. I'm mad at the physicians that are enabling it. Physicians took an oath to be able to do the right thing for their patient. And they are objectively wrong in this one. It is a terrible thing that you can be doing, both to affirm mental illness as uh, Matt Walsh's movie, this, uh, you know, what is a woman demonstrated. These people are nuts. They're full crazy. And there's no way that we can get on board with them. It's truly dangerous. And so the last thing here, it says nine states have passed bathroom bans affecting nearly 15% of transgender people over the age of 13 or 243,000 of the one6 million transgender people worldwide. I'd be surprised. Yeah, all these people are young. Every single quote unquote transgender person nationwide that has decided to do it. Like you look at the guys that are doing it and I've seen them. I was actually sitting with somebody from Catholic Vote, totally uh, totally an aside here, but I'm sitting with the folks from Catholic Vote in Arizona. We're sitting down, it's Brian Birch, who's the president of that, uh, that organization. We're having breakfast and there's this like uh, gym, it might've been, it was a high dollar gym. I don't know what it was exactly, but uh, life fitness or something like that. It looked expensive, nice, you know, nice people coming in with expensive clothing and stuff like that going in and out. And it's in a really nice building. And this guy comes walking out with, you know, shoulder length hair. It's kind of kinked up in black. And I swear to God, he looked like Randy Savage, young Randy Savage. He looked like the macho man from my childhood, except he was wearing a purple sports bra, which had almost nothing in it and purple leggings yoga pants with this ridiculous, you know, tucked bulge thing. This is a dude who looked like a professional wrestler. He looked like a monster. And it 
was like sitting and watching South Park happen. If those of you who have not seen the episode in South Park where the uh, Randy Savage pops up for some sort of like women's strongman competition and he's like, I'm not here to talk about my transition. You know, that's the guy that came walking out of this gym. And I just thought if, if I was at that gym, I would no longer be able to go to that gym. I couldn't take anything seriously. I'm confident that guy could deadlift 500 pounds. And he's dressed up like a lady. He looks like a dude wearing ladies' clothing. So the only people that are doing that are clearly bizarre, have strange mental problems. That is not a thing that anybody, nobody looks in the mirror. That guy doesn't look in the mirror and says, yep, uh, I'm, I'm a chick, actually, you know, unless he just has some strange fetish. And so my wife actually uh, made me aware of this one, autogynephilia. If you're not familiar with that, we'll talk about it maybe another time. Maybe I'll have her come and talk about it. But it's essentially, it's a, it's a erotic it's an erotic um, fetish where men sexualize themselves and they fantasize about themselves as a woman. Not that they believe they are women, but that is their turn on. That is their, their kink, their fetish, whatever it is. It's a sexual thing. And so for that sort of bizarre you know, mental illness to be affirmed by our society right now by putting these people on the White House long, like I'm confident that you don't take off your top when you have fake boobs as a dude in front of a national audience, in front of the White House of all places, because it doesn't get you excited. It does. I've got, uh, I see Jigsaw in the chat is saying, it's ma'am, like that crazy guy that went into the game store and he's an angry video game buyer. If you haven't seen this viral video, it's out there. It's 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 in the world and I highly recommend it. Um, so what's really interesting to me on this this Newsweek piece is that they are willing to, uh, they're willing to blur the line so dramatically that they want to act like what's happening is bad for everybody. And I'm looking for a specific line in there, but they essentially said that uh, not only are there hostile acts and discriminations that are going on for these transgender, these non-binary types, but also there's an affront to the dignity of black and brown people, immigrants, and small businesses. I just want you to put that in your head. You wanna talk about a con game that's going on. When they try to blur the line between people who don't know what to do with their adult genitals with black and brown people, maybe historically discriminated against in this country, but have gotten a pretty fair shake over the last, like at least my lifetime, you know, 40 plus, 50 plus years. And then immigrants who actually do fantastic in this country when it comes to those who come in legally, bring a skill set, they exceed the expectations even of those that are native born Americans. And then small business owners, like what in the world do these things have to do with each other other than they are aggressively pushing to have the Dylan Mulvaney's out there on a Bud Light can. They are aggressively pushing to get this sort of advocacy, this uh, advocacy going on. So I was just curious, and I brought this up. This was part of my research that I found this morning. This is a, a piece from Pew Research Center. Everyone knows Pew Research. They do a pretty good job of doing um, of doing demographic studies on different things. And this this particular article, this comes from 2021, so it's not super current, but uh, I don't think it's changed dramatically. And it's entitled Faith Among Black Americans. And it says most black worshipers attend predominantly black congregation. They wanted to know about race and um, you know whether or not black people are worshiping together and racial solidarity and generational patterns. And that was what the study was about, but that's not what was interesting to me. What I found interesting was this. Protestant here, I'm just, I highlighted it. If you're looking on the screen, it might be kind of small. It says Protestantism has long dominated the black American religious landscape, and it still does. This survey shows that two thirds of black Americans, 66% of them are Protestant. 6% are Catholic. We're up to 72% and 3% with other 
uh, Christian faiths, including things like Jehovah's Witness. So that's 75%. And then another 3% belong to non-Christian faiths, the most common of which is Islam. Okay, so if if we have 75 to 78% of the black community or the black people in this country are part of one of the uh, Abrahamic traditions, then they all have the same ideas and they're all taught the same ideas about the same thing that everyone else in Christian churches are, which are conservative positions, that abortion is wrong, that um, immigration should be legal because the laws matter, uh, that we should be obeying the laws of men as well, right? There are certain things that are pushed forward when you go to a church of any kind, and uh, and blacks are no different than any other group of Americans. I don't, I don't like the dividing them out, but they did the individual survey because they went after about, I think they interviewed like 10,000 people across the country, which is a, good, a decent sized sample set. It's bigger than a lot of the political research you see. And so why in the world would a group of people, 75% of whom are Christians, have any common cause with people who don't know what to do with their, with their junk, who don't know what to do with their adult genitals? There's no way they do. They've smeared this thing together. They've acted like there's some coalition. And this is the same, the same coalition that Barack Obama was always pushing. It was the idea that all these people were historically oppressed, and therefore, in their oppression, they identify with each other's oppression, which are unrelated, and then they all have to push for each other's uh, you know, movement forward. So 75% of blacks in this country, apparently, have to push for transgender rights because transgender people have it rough, and historically, black people had it rough. I guess that's the connection. It doesn't make any bit of damn sense to me. It doesn't make any sense at all, actually. But this is the kind of way that they're going to this frame this argument and smear these people together. And if you're not paying attention to it, maybe you go along with it. Uh, there's a whole breakdown in this Pew Research piece about the types of sermons that are going on and what kind of things people are hearing, that 42% are listening to uh, sermons about race relations or inequality. So you are actually getting black preachers in these churches that are pushing some of the agenda. But a lot of the stuff aligns with the, the mainstream narrative that they're playing the same con on people that are listening to church every day because you think that your religious leaders should be able to be giving you information that is valuable in a Christian sense and you should be able to walk forward. They talk about voting engagement at 39%. 22% of them have heard religious sermons about abortion. I can't imagine it was favorable to abortion. And then 31% talking about criminal justice reform. What I don't see is a big push for transgender rights or transgender um, normalization in our public society. And yet, there it is. So in all of that, all this confidence is going to kind of move us to the ultimate shell game, I think, the ultimate uh, sort of con job that we are seeing right now. And I'm going to touch on this real quickly. I want to play a couple of seconds from Donald Trump's speech that was uh, happening yesterday. He went out and spoke after being indicted. It'd be foolish for us not to, to mention that he had to present himself in front of a courthouse in Miami. Did so yesterday. And here is the former president of the United States talking for a few minutes about well, a few seconds. We'll play. It was a 38-minute speech. So you guys can check this out on um, on YouTube if you want later on or on Rumble. So let's just give uh, former President Trump a moment. Election. More importantly, it's a political persecution like something straight out of a fascist or a communist nation. This day will go down in infamy and Joe Biden will forever be remembered as not only the most corrupt president in the history of our country, but perhaps even more importantly, the president who, together with a band of his closest thugs, misfits, and Marxists, tried to destroy American democracy. 
Let's leave it right there. I want you to look if you're if you're watching on the Rumble channel right now, which you can see. I took this from PBS on purpose because I love it. They added context to the president's statement, the former president's statement. He's standing up at a podium in front of American flags, and it says context. The 2020 election was the most secure in American history, according to federal election officials. You want to talk about a con game. Like we can call it gaslighting. Um, you can talk about projection and the way that they play this game. But man, what a fun thing to see in real time. And so here is another fun thing to see. This is a guy named Richard Stengel. And Stengel was on Twitter. He said this, nothing quite says banana republic like a presidential candidate saying he will, quote, go after his predecessor if elected. And that brought me to this article right here. Now, first of all, actually, let me go back here. Let me just tell you who this guy is. He's the former undersecretary of state under Obama. Okay. He was an editor at Time Magazine. So just like a Newsweek type thing, he was one of these guys that uh, that was in charge of editing the news. And he's a CEO of the National Constitution Center. That's actually funny. Of course, he's a political analyst on MSNBC. Here's his pinned tweet, which goes back a year. It says, I always told my journalists there are not two sides to a lie. Yes, you should be nonpartisan, but not neutral. Journalists must be biased in favor of truth and facts based. I'm sorry, biased in favor of democracy itself. Really? This is that old democracy itself thing. Um, and we must protect the press so the press can protect democracy. These are self-serving people. So he, he refers to this article in Forbes. Um, <laughs> I just want to address the idea that these people are pushing lies and they are doing so under this, this totally self-righteous idea that they are doing something that is good for quote-unquote democracy. If I see another I fight for democracy in a, a Twitter bio or somebody on social media that's coming after me because they don't know what they're talking about, they almost always have like a cat picture as their profile pic. Uh, these people, you know, they are the bane of our existence right now. They are the ones that are really making this place, this country, uh, disturbing. And so here you have this article from Forbes which used to be kind of right center and says Trump threatens to quote unquote, go after Biden through special prosecutor. If reelected in total, in total denial of the fact that what we just saw was the sitting president of the United States, Joe Biden has brought trainees to the white house lawn and had his justice department, which he claims he didn't know anything about. He never talked to the, to Merrick Garland. He's never had a conversation about uh, what they were going to do with Trump in the same way. I'm sure that he's never talked to Hunter Biden about his business dealings. Oh, wait, maybe he did. We'll cover that in just a second here as well. Former President Donald Trump threatened to, to appoint a real special prosecutor to target Joe Biden if he's reelected. Of course, he has to say these things right now. He's literally uh, on in the fight of his life to be able to make sure that he can continue his presidential campaign. As many of you guys know, I assume that President Trump will be the one who is nominated as the, uh, the GOP nominee. He can do that from prison, so it doesn't really make a difference. But moreover, I would really like to see him start acting like one. But instead, he's got to throw the stuff out here because the guy is, he's just got hauled in front on a 37-count indictment, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and so they're going to call you the key facts of this case. This is Forbes being not biased at all, saying Trump called Biden the most corrupt president in U.S. history, saying he would use a special prosecutor to go after the president and the entire Biden crime family in a post on Truth Social. And then he had to appear in court. The threat builds on Trump and his Republican allies' narrative. There's a narrative. The narrative to cast the document probe is an act of political bias by Biden, who oversees the Justice Department and Attorney General Merrick Garland. So now we got to, you know, legitimize what we talked about on Monday. And then, of course, he has the special prosecutor to avoid the, the perception of political interference and a grand jury 
voted to indict the ex-president. First of all, grand juries vote to indict based on the information that they are presented with. We all know that. The whole you can indict a hand sandwich idea is that the uh, it's a one-sided and it's a a one-sided uh, ex parte hearing where the other side gets no say in it, right? President Trump's attorneys didn't get to do it. So they only presented stuff that was favorable to their indictment. What I don't think they took into account is, is did they tell the, the uh, grand jury, look, we're going to indict him on all these counts of moving classified information. But the deal is this, uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to declassify all of these highly top secret documents, including what are called sources and methods, which may number in the tens of millions of dollars of technology that we'll have to expose. Sophisticated technical you know, techniques and technical sources that are able to gather this stuff, we're going to have to declassify that in order to get after Trump. So the cost to the American taxpayer may be in the tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in prosecution by the time it's all said and done. Between the investigation, between the fact that we are going to lose certain technologies if you declassify those documents in order to show the evidence, it's my understanding they would have to show those things. This is why the DOJ historically ran away from doing national security prosecutions. They didn't want to give up the secrets because prosecuting wasn't worth what they would lose. That's not the case in the in uh, when we look at Trump. And so you have to wonder, well, is it really worth it? Is it worth losing sophisticated technical gathering capabilities simply to, quote unquote, get the orange man? Right. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, in the meantime, we have this Newsweek article going out and trying to act like Trump is the one who is crazy when, in fact, the sitting president was the one who was talking about this. Um, anybody who, who follows this kind of stuff on Twitter will see that these guys get ratioed with with the number of responses. And um, it, it did lead to some at least positive outcomes. We've been kind of seeing um, Ron DeSantis, who's the other sort of challenger. I don't think that he has a chance to win against a Trump, but he did come out and he stated that uh, they, he has a plan to go after the, uh, the weaponized DOJ. Look, at the end of the day for me, the win... And the win for many of us is going to be they have to attack this weaponized federal government. Okay, It claims that uh, Ron DeSantis has been working for months on a plan to tear down and rebuild both the Justice Department and the, DO, or, and, and the FBI, consulting with experts. Well, he might as well call one of the suspendables up because we know. And, uh, and they want to develop a day one strategy so they can see uh, an end to these uh, weaponizations of the justice system against conservatives. He, uh, he talks about how his private advisors said they will hire and fire um, plenty of the personnel within the federal government, reorganize the agencies, and execute a disciplined and relentless strategy to restore the Justice Department on a mission that's in line with what the Founding Fathers envisioned. The biggest thing that I saw here, and this is the big piece that we should be talking about, and I'm glad that DeSantis is saying it. I hope Trump takes it up as well. He wants to physically remove large swaths of the DOJ from the District of Columbia, including the FBI's headquarters, according to Real Clear politics who reported on this they need and he says we're not going to let the uh, the power accumulate in washington we're going to break up these agencies and send them in i've been saying this for quite a while we need to see we need to see the the mechanisms of government in the places where human beings are and get them out of that swamp they actually have to send them across that's why i like hearing guys like vivek ramaswamy talking it's why i like the idea of having a bigger primary than many people want. I don't need to ordain the prince to go through and do the fight. I need the ideas to to come out and the best ideas should come forward. We need to see that they are going to take this as a threat that it is and let iron sharpen iron. And President Trump should basically just be looking forward saying, look, I'm just running against Joe Biden. But 
I am willing to hear what these guys have to say. And when they have good ideas, he should adopt them in no mean, you know, in a meaningful way. And so this is a, an important thing that is being introduced. As long as people like DeSantis are talking about it, then we can move it into the sphere where Trump can talk about it. They're actually forcing that along. I think it's really important. Let's uh, let's hear exactly why this is so important. I'm going to show you something. This is the this is the bio page for the deputy director. That's the number two at the FBI right now, Paula Bate. And uh, he's been deputy director since 2021. He's formerly of the Detroit field office, same as Steve D'Antuano. He's formerly of the Washington field office. And in fact, was the uh, the boss of the Washington field office when I was assigned there initially. And he left uh, maybe a month or two afterwards. So a guy that has kind of been in the same places. Um, I've never met the man. He seems like a relatively serious individual. But some of the stuff that we find out about him is that he... He's a big activist on the BLM stuff after his time in Detroit, and apparently he has a penchant for dating women of uh, darker colored skin, uh, maybe more than one at a time, so be it. Uh, we've got some information that's been passed and hasn't been made public yet. I brought this up on Twitter. This is the uh, Columbia Bugles webpage. Uh, this is their uh, Twitter thing from yesterday, and this is a piece from Ted Cruz. I just want to play it for you. I want to show you the reticence that the FBI has. We all kind of know it. It's happening over and over again, but this is exactly the kind of thing the reason why we need to bust up these agencies and do something with them because they think they're totally unaccountable. Here's Ted Cruz questioning Paul Abate, who is the deputy director, the number two at the FBI, about some of the stuff that's been going on with the Biden so-called crime family. Does the FBI have 17 voice recordings laying out evidence of a bribery scheme? Senator, I'd add all, I would add also that uh, we've worked with the House Oversight Committee yeah, this is the Senate. The We're the other side of the Capitol. This is the Senate. Do you have those 17 recordings? I'm not going to comment on any investigative matters, Senator. See, that's the problem. The FBI, and I've had this conversation with Chris Ray too, this is why you are damaging the institution. The American people have a right to know whether there is serious, credible evidence that the President of the United States took a $5 million bribe. And by the way, if it's false, Chairman Durbin just rolled his eyes. If Chairman Durbin were interested in the rule of law, we would have a hearing on these allegations. But of course, the Democrats don't want a hearing on the, these allegations. And to be clear, if the allegations are false, you know who could disprove them? Joe Biden. He could call for this to be released publicly. But the FBI is stonewalling. Would two, you agree? Two things, Senator. No sure. one's stonewalling. The 1023 you just said you refused was provided to answer the in response to his subpoena. Okay, the then why'd you refuse Oversight to Committee. answer my the, question? The pertinent information is there, and I reject your assertion that the why FBI is Why did you refuse to answer my question? I just answered your question. Okay, so yes, you have a 1023. Do you have the 17 recordings, yes or no? I'm not going to get further into that. So story. you're stonewalling. You can't say... So that, that's the kind of exchange that we're seeing right now. This is the stuff that we're seeing in Congress. This is the stuff we're seeing in front of the Senate. One of the, uh, the great quotes, he says, uh, Abate says, I'm not going to comment on information we received... Um, from investigations or other matters. And Cr Cruz asked him straight up, do you, do, you don't owe the American people an obligation to be candid about the evidence of corruption by the president of the United States. And Abate says, this is an area that I'm not going to get into with you, Senator. These guys do not feel like they are beholden to the legislative process of oversight. And in some ways that makes sense because you have an executive agency, but you have an executive agency that is acting fully outside the bounds of what we would expect, what is normal in um, this American system. It doesn't make sense to me that we are going to be allowing an FBI to run unchecked. And the only way you do that is you have to have good people working there. You have to have the right people uh, doing the thing and 
and participating in the oath in its true form. And that should be that they're interested in truth and freedom, and they're interested in upholding their constitutional duties to not infringe on anybody's civil liberties. That includes the former president. The fact that we've seen seven years of weaponized partisanship going after President Trump from illegal FISAs to the crossfire hurricane. And they basically have said, yeah, yeah, we did all that stuff. But um, also we, we said we're sorry. We said we're sorry. You know, the same way my buddy Carl used to say. He was always joking because it was never anything serious. But the FBI is claiming they said they're sorry. And they did some training. You know, I got the training. You can't do FISAs that way. Well, guess who did the FISAs? It was people like Peter Strzok who were out there writing these things up. These were headquarters-based investigations. These were not field agent investigations. And the wild thing is this. The only people that I know of that had to take those stupid trainings were people in the field that didn't do anything with it. By the time you get past that GF-15 level, you're working out of a headquarters unit. Those are the, you know insulated in the DC a little bubble where they don't see things and it's right and wrong. They see things as what they can and can't do and what they can get away with. You're dealing with a totally different animal. You know We are just dealing with something that is unchecked. And so in many ways, DeSantis is correct. We need to be decentralizing. I hope President Trump takes that up when he starts his, his aggressive campaign against what the DOJ has been up to. And the idea that uh, we have a sitting president right now that is not paying attention to this stuff, totally absurd. I've got another little clip here. This may be the same piece here. This is from Ted Cruz. I queued up two of these. I think they might have been different, but we'll find in a second. Would two, you agree? Two things, Senator. No sure. one's stonewalling. The 1023 you just said you refused was provided to answer the question. in response to a subpoena. Okay, the then House why'd you refuse to answer committee. my the, question? The pertinent information is there, and I reject your assertion. The Why FBI did you refuse to answer my question? Yeah. Okay. So this is the same exact exchange words, but the, they just went around and around. This went on for like six or eight minutes of these guys um, kind of talking about how I, I didn't even pull up the video for you because it's the same thing. It's just a guy in a black suit. Um, Paul Abate is like one of these like crew cared. He's got silver hair. He's got uh, you know a black tie on a black suit. He looks very kind of inexpensive fed. And uh, I wasn't sure if we had enough time to get into this. I'm not sure if we're going to get into it. There's an article on Town Hall by John Nance. <laughs> who I never think about until uh, I find out that he wrote a hit piece against me. The only reason I know about it is our former guest, uh, Sheriff Mark Kreider, actually sent me the article and said, yeah, this guy really loves you. Uh, tune into Dan Bongino's show today. I think you guys will find it very amusing. Dan is, uh, he's directly called out by this guy, John Nance. He used to be my supervisor. It's a guy I worked with for two years. Um, by all accounts, he was a decent dude when I worked with him. Um, not a particularly brave person, but, uh, but a decent human being. And uh, he's obsessed with the suspendables right now. Just obsessed about it. So he wrote an article called How to Fix the FBI in 10 Minutes or Less and spent over half of it just saying about how jealous he is of me and Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle having a platform to discuss things because he really, really wants to be a writer. This is the same guy that just hid in his office because of the COVID stuff and hoped that he could retire. His words, not mine, told me that he was going to hide out until he could retire. And he did. And now he's very bold and courageous and wants to be out in the public. So check out Dan's podcast for today. I think you guys will find it. Dan told me it's going to get ugly for him, and uh, I will be tuning in as well. Um, that's going on in about 30 minutes, so you should be able to kick that at the end of it. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to that Kyle Serafin show all day, all this morning. We'll do this again on Friday. Um, if you have not already, please go to our link in the show descriptions. You can go to uh, Apple Leave us a five-star review. We're up to over 540 of those. And uh, I'll read one of these things right now. Let's see what we've got. 
This is uh, Rosario in New Jersey. I don't know if I've read this one already, but it says, happy to have found the show. Honestly, I'm so proud of Kyle that he has the guts to do this while still raising a family. I too am raising a family, and I really hope to have the same set this man has to do what is right and not what is easy and comfortable. I truly love this podcast. I look forward to each show every week. Um, Rosario, really appreciate it. I'm sure if you are out there and you know what the right thing to do is and you're willing to do it, then you all have the same set. That's what being a suspendable is. That's what this show is all about. It's about folks knowing that they have to set their feet, they have to set their face like Flint, they have to uh, draw that line in the sand, get out in front of it, and do not take anything from this government as they try to con you, as they try to pull the shell game on you, take your money and take your sanity by letting you know that it's normal to have a topless man who has gotten boobs standing in front of the White House. That's normal in this America. We know it's not. We know it's not normal to be putting these kind of things on children, to be putting cartoons with men kissing men and getting married when we're supposed to be talking about little kids doing science. And we know it's not normal for a cartoon bear and a, and a dancing cat to introduce themselves with pronouns because real people don't do that anywhere in America. It is a weird time, but we can push back against it by just knowing what's right, refusing to let our children be indoctrinated and uh, refusing to cede the linguistic territory. Don't be a victim of this. Don't be taken by the shell game. You guys all know that Three Card Monty is a con and this is a con in the same way. So until then, we will see you guys on Friday. We've been kind of talking about doing something called uh, Friendly Friday. If you have not seen, Steve Friend's book dropped yesterday and started shipping. People started getting them at their house. Most of you, if you had a pre-order, will be seeing them either yesterday, uh, today, or tomorrow. They will be showing up in your mailboxes. There's also an audiobook available on Amazon. You can go and order the audiobook. Check out Steve Friend's book, which is called True Blue. It's his journey from being a beat cop to the suspended FBI whistleblower that he is today. Check out Steve Friend's book. Let's make it a bestseller. And if you want to send it to the FBI, you can do that too. You can send it to the attention of Chris Ray at 935 Northwest Pennsylvania Avenue or Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. That is in Washington, D.C., 20535 is the zip code. I used to have to write that down on all my pay stuff. Again, that's 935 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20535. Go ahead and send Chris Ray a copy of True Blue if you want. Let's get him a pallet over there if you guys want to send an extra copy just for fun. I know I appreciate it. I know Steve appreciates it. And uh, we do all appreciate the support that you guys have been throwing out there. We'll see you again probably for Friendly Friday with uh, Steve Friend, and we'll have a take on what's going on. Guys, God bless. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash kyleserafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.